0: Well, a long time ago, there was a bunch of Greek astronomers. They all believed that the Earth was at the centre of the solar system and all the planets and the sun revolved around the Earth. But then one day, along came a a bloke called Copernicus and he had a bit of a, a long pointy nose and a Polish haircut and he wrote a book about how actually the sun is at the centre of the solar system And all the planets, including the earth, revolve around the sun. His book amazed the Greeks. It amazed everyone. Copernicus totally flipped the theories of the Greeks. They thought they had got it right. And of course we know now that Copernicus' theory was true. Well, the Corinthians have got it all wrong, like the Greeks. They think they've got it right, but Paul comes along and flips their ideas around. They think they know all about church and the importance of leaders. But Paul, here in chapter 3, points them back to the truth. Paul says, I'm going to show you the gospel. But what is, what is Paul flipping for the Corinthians? Well, let's find out. Verse 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food. For you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Paul says he could not and still can't address them as spiritual. Now we learned last week what it means to be spiritual. To be filled with the Spirit is to value and understand the things of God. And the week before that, in chapter 1, we saw that their worldly attitudes and their problems of division in the church are coming from the one underlying issue. They don't fully understand the gospel. Knowing the gospel drives all of Paul's thoughts, including the discussion of church leaders here in chapter 3. And you know that problem of of one saying, I follow Paul, and another saying, I follow Apollos, it's back here again in chapter 3. Not understanding the gospel has led to the Corinthian church quarrelling over leaders. Now they're acting like the world around them. Verse 3, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Now, belonging to a leader or a speaker was kind of the done thing for the people of that world. Everyone belonged to or followed someone, whether it was a philosopher or a comedian, kind of like how we follow rock stars and footy teams. The Corinthians are doing the same with their church leaders. But Paul reminds them that he, Apollos and Cephas are just men. They're missing the big picture. Like the Greeks had to realise that the planets revolved around the sun, so too the Corinthians have three things that they need to realise. Realisation number one is to realise that leaders are only servants their view of leaders is all mucked up so that's the first thing that paul tackles verse five what after all is apollos and what is paul only servants through whom you came to believe as the lord had assigned to each his task i planted the seed apollos watered it but god made it grow so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only god who makes things grow now it would be easy here for Paul to step in and take the glory. He started the church, he converted many of them, he's been everywhere as a missionary. This guy is a machine. But no, no, he says, what are we? Only servants assigned a task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. In the church, leaders are only servants. The flip here is that the Corinthians have put higher value on one leader, but Paul says, and the Gospel says, leaders are just servants. And he illustrates that with the image of the plant. One sowing, one watering. Now, uh, if you've ever planted anything, you know that there's certain things you've got control over. You can put the seed in the ground, you can water the soil, you can give it sunlight. But if God doesn't want that plant to grow... Well, it's not going to grow. Paul makes that same parallel with the growth of the church. Men sow and water, teach and train, but the growing part, that's up to God. God growing us is helping us to know Christ more, to value Christ and Him crucified by the work of the Spirit. Now, Paul is talking specifically about church leaders and you can tell that by naming, by naming himself, Apollos and Peter. So any glory that the Corinthians thought that these leaders had is relinquished. They are servants. Even in comparing them to farmers or gardeners seems to be unheard of. Where public speakers and philosophers of the age attain such high status, so too in the Greco-Roman world, to call a leader a farmer seems to be an insult. Of course, to call someone a farmer these days is a great compliment. But Paul makes it clear that it is God, and only God, who makes things grow. The leaders are but servants, helpers, co-workers. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Leaders are serving God in his work of saving people. But this is where we see Paul shift his focus move towards his second flip. You are God's field. You are God's building. Because of the gospel, leaders are servants and the church is precious. Realisation number two is to realise the church is precious. You see, leaders are nothing. Well, nothing when compared to the church. Paul is challenging their view of leaders because they're missing what's really important. But it's important here to clarify that, uh, just because that, that just because leaders are servants, they still have their purpose. They still have the task assigned to them. Whether it's the planting or the watering, preaching a church or leading a growth group, they're still fellow workers with God, meaning they have a responsibility to do their job well. And changing to the building, the, the building a temple imagery, uh, Paul begins to outline that responsibility. Verse 10, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. Now it can seem a bit strange at this point. Having spent the last five verses downplaying the position of leaders, he starts warning them that they need to be careful how they build. And he goes on to say how important that building is. Well, why is that? Well, it's because the church is so precious. Think think if you were building your dream home. You know that the guys who build it, they don't own the house. They're just kind of hired to help. But you don't want them to do a dodgy job. You don't want them to cut the corners. You don't want them to get away with the minimum work. You want the builders who will be careful with every job who will do their best, whether it's the bricklaying or the plumbing or the wiring, you want it done expertly because it's important to you. It's your dream home. Well, God is the same with his church. Leaders are servants, but in the task they have assigned to them, God wants them to do it well. Paul began building as an expert, building with the gospel, the grace of God. And to anyone else who builds on it, he says in verse 11, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. It must be the same with us. As we grow and mature as Christians, we have our foundation firm in Jesus. Everything we do and teach and learn must have its root in the gospel. As we learn to know Christ more and more, we actually don't ever move on from Christ. Christ crucified is our foundation. However, he who builds on top of that foundation must be careful. Whoever it is has a choice to how well they build. Verse 12, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw. Now you can see that the materials are in descending order of value. Paul is kind of painting this picture here that the leaders of the church are the builders. They can build well with gold, silver and costly stones or they can build poorly with wood, hay or straw. Either way, the work of the leaders will be tested, verse 13. His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. The day is when Jesus is coming back. The day when all people will be brought before God. Also on that day, the work of the leaders will be shown for what it is. Regardless of whether it is good or bad, they will be brought before the throne of God and their work will be on display for all to see. Not only will it be seen, but it will be tested And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he builds survives, he will receive reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. He who serves faithfully and truthfully will be rewarded. He who serves poorly and selfishly will still be saved by the skin of his teeth. But those who he taught may not. But why is all this important? Why do we need leaders who will build well? Because according to the gospel, leaders are servants and the church is precious. The second flip is that the Corinthians think one leader is precious, but the gospel says God's whole church is precious. God's people are so special to him. And that's never more clear in the next two verses. Verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. What are you doing quarrelling about personalities, ministry styles, mere men? Don't you know that you are the church? This is what Paul's been getting at all along. Take down your dividing walls because it's not just one person that's important. You're all precious to God. And the Spirit of God lives in you. And we learned about the power of the Spirit last week. The Spirit from God that helps us to understand what God has freely given us. And verse 17, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred. And you are that temple. Now this warning is not just someone building poorly. No, this is God protecting his people from those out to purposely destroy it, warning anyone who would seek to take down God's precious church that if they hurt the church, God will hurt them. We're more precious than the crown jewels. And that's saying something. The crown jewels are in the, the Tower of London complex and it's, it's kind of this completely walled-in little village. Every street, every path is guarded by the army 24 hours a day, every day, every night. The new, they have this new security and display technology. Uh, the jewels are protected by two inch thick shatterproof glass. They have a dedicated control room uh, inside the barracks from which the soldiers monitor the jewel house and the surrounding area. Which means if you go anywhere near the jewels, they will know about it. If you try to steal the jewels, well, you better look out because those soldiers are not carrying toy guns. Those guys with the big black fluffy hats, they're not. They're just look to look pretty. These jewels are seriously precious. But to God, we are more precious. And God will not look kindly on anyone who messes with his church. God's temple is sacred. It is so precious to God. The temple is so valuable to the creator and the ruler of the whole universe. That temple is us. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. But what is resulting in them thinking That leaders are more than servants. What is resulting in them thinking that the church is more important? Well, it's one big overarching problem. Paul's third and final flip, realization number three, is to realize the wisdom of the world is foolishness. This has been Paul's argument in all three chapters so far wisdom versus foolishness. What the world sees as wise, God says is foolish. The Corinthians think they are wise, and to the world they are wise, because they want impressiveness and cleverness. But to God, it's all foolishness. They're so caught up in being impressive, they're in danger of missing God's wisdom, because God's wisdom and the world's wisdom are not the same. Verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. God clearly thinks that the wisdom of the world is foolish. Like we saw two weeks ago, the wisdom of the world is having impressive ideas, cleverness, letters after your name, getting 99 in your ATAR, which, by the way, are okay things to have, but, no matter how smart, clever, hard-working one is, none of it helps you value God's wisdom. So the Corinthians seeking worldly wisdom, valuing just one leader and putting him on a pedestal, that's foolish. It is because they are thinking this way that Paul had to do the first two flips at all. Because they are worldly in their thinking, They had their view of leaders all wrong and their view of church all wrong. Anyway, getting hung up over just one leader is so silly because they have it all. Through Christ and only Christ, the church has everything. Verse 21, So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death. Or the present or the future, all are yours. They don't need to worry about valuing just one man because they have everything. They're wasting their time arguing over Paul, Apollos, and Peter because they all belong to the church. Why argue over one? If you belong to the church, you've got all three. They don't need to worry about life or death or the present or the future. All is theirs. All is ours. Why? Because in verse 23, because we are of Christ and Christ is of God. The message of the cross is the power of God, the gospel that saves. Because of that, he has done, he has done everything and so we now have everything. We have life and life to the full. We don't have to worry about death. Because Jesus has defeated death. And so now we have a promise of eternal life. We're forgiven for all that, all that we've done wrong. We can have a relationship with God. If we are in Christ, then we have everything by His grace, not our own efforts. This is true wisdom. Wisdom worth pursuing. Paul wants us to start thinking the way God does. Paul has flipped things back the way they should be like Copernicus did, to help the Corinthians see that they have their view of church the wrong way around. Leaders are not to be placed on a pedestal. No, because of the gospel, leaders are servants and the church is precious. So how does this shape our attitude towards church? Your attitude towards God's people? We need to realise that leaders are only servants. And chapter 4, verse 1 sums that up pretty nicely. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. Let's be clear on the place of our leaders. They are servants not to be fought over, but they are assigned the task of building God's temple, God's people. So let's support them in that, giving them feedback, caring for them and their families. Let's be united. Let's not get divided. We need to realise that the church is precious. Let's get our attitude towards church right. Remember, it is so loved and so valuable to God. Remember, church is you, the people, not some brick structure with doors and windows. What is your attitude towards coming to church at all? How do you see, how do you view your church family? Do you see them as precious? Well, let your actions reflect that. Do you look forward to coming each week on a Sunday? Is that the highlight of your week? Or do you do it just because it's the right thing to do and you're happy to get here a bit late and leave a bit early? Or maybe you're happy to come, but sometimes you'd rather just sleep in. How about growth groups? If it's all about the people, then... Shouldn't we be wanting to encourage each other more than just once a week at church? And mobsters, do you book Friday nights as busy every week? Or is mob just what you do when there's not a party or a concert or a footy match? However we meet with God's people, we need to remember that we are God's temple. It's not just a social event. We are God's sacred people. I hope that you love being here each week. I hope that you want to be here each week. I hope that you pray about what's going on here each week. I hope you love each other enough to spend 30 cents on a phone call to call someone when they're sick or have mischurched a few weeks in a row. We are the crown jewels of the creator of the universe. And finally, we need to realize the wisdom of the world is foolishness. Don't get caught up trying to achieve status and wisdom in this world. It's not what saves you. Seek God's grace, God's wisdom. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus has done it all for us. We have everything in him. Never take that for granted. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Let me pray. Heavenly Father. We praise you as our Lord and Creator. Thank you for the lessons we can learn from your word. Help us to realize that leaders are only servants and to support your workers here at DPC as they build us up. Help us to realize that we, your church, are your crown jewels. May we take meeting together seriously and love each other accordingly. Help us to realize the wisdom of the world is foolishness. May we not pursue cleverness as a way of trying to save ourselves, but instead lean on your grace. Thank you for Jesus and all that he did for us. And we pray in his name. Amen.